dedicated to all my beautiful queens, all my beautiful ladies out there. She is a queen. joining another episode of the Q Chat. Today I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Cherie Walker. She's an educator, motivational speaker, and author. And she has a book called The Resilient Walker. And she really, really, really has a great story to tell. I'm excited to speak with her. We're going to talk about resilience and just coming out of the ashes and just being on top. So I'm really excited to speak with her. How are you doing today? I am living the dream. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to speak with you. So like I said, I looked at your information and you really do have a powerful story. You know, you really are doing it, taking your life to inspire others, which of course is a great thing, just passing that baton and helping people find their greatness. So I wanted to start off, I know you're the founder of The Resilient Walker, which of course we will talk about that. But I wanted to start off just talking about your upbringing. With everything I read about you, you grew up in a a single parent home, you know, poverty stricken. And one thing that really struck me that I read about you is that it said you refused to be a victim of your circumstance. So I know we all have a history. We all have a beginning, an origin that leads us to who we are now. So I definitely want to start off, you know, if you can tell us about your upbringing. Yeah, so I am straight from the Jordan Down Projects in Los Angeles, California. Um, most people think it's a city, but it's actually an area. I'm from Watts, um, and I am a 70s baby. I'm a product of a teenage mother. She and my father were both 15 years old um, when I was born. And so that alone, having a child at 15, and by the time she was 18, there was three of us. And then by the time she was 30, there were six of us. So, you know, her development was arrested and I'm one that went to one of the neighborhood elementary schools, but I grew up in Watts where it's like two miles with 40 radius, like the area, but 40,000 people. And it was like just impoverished gangs, drugs, just this, this scene adversity, but also being in LA, you see Hollywood, you see possibilities. And so with me being uh, a transient student, uh, someone who really believed in the possibilities as a young age, I was that that child that believed in the golden rule and really believed in the possibilities. And so although I grew up in an impoverished environment with financial instability, and then being nomadic with moving from school to school to school, school became my refuge. And so Watts kind of instilled a lot of core beliefs in me. Um, they they call it Watts, meaning as an acronym, where we are to taught to survive under pressure. So we say Watts up. And so there are a lot of skills about keeping your word about, you know, um, um, showing up for people and supporting people that I learned in that environment that were a lot of transferable skills throughout life. So um, school was my refuge. I attended schools in a year and a 
half, um, struggling, trying to survive. But because school was my refuge, I was one that persevered and was like, I have to graduate from high school. I have to graduate from high school. So although horrific at times with dealing with abuse, you know, I was abusing my stepfather at five years old, a female neighbor at 10, inappropriately touched my grandfather at 16, raped at 19, had Bell's palsy on the left side of my face. So very horrific situations. I like to say it was good that I was afflicted because of who I became and the core of me was never tainted. So LA Watts was 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 my sense of, of of life and understanding and it has evolved over time. But it was a ta- it was a, a start of a tapestry. My uh, my upbringing and my life to date is this beautiful tapestry with with beautiful colors and gaping holes in some areas and dark spaces in some area. But when you actually take this macro view, it's this beautiful tapestry. Mm. Now, I'm so happy that I'm not happy you experienced some of the things that you said, obviously, but I'm happy that you mentioned just the abuse, also the female abuse, because that happens to a lot of women and they're not comfortable, you know, talking about that too. But going through that, how were you able to persevere, you know, because I said so many people have similar stories and they were not able to persevere, you know, it's rough when you are violated, you know, I mean, no one deserves that. We've all experienced that. I have experienced that on different occasions, you know, and it's it's an unfair feeling, you know, so it's kind of hard. You get to a stage where it's kind of hard when you don't want to have this pity party, you know, but, and then you find a way to get out of it. Not everyone finds that, that, that shining light to kind of use our pain for our purpose. So what's your motivation to, like you said, be resilient and not let that be a crutch for you? Yeah, so resilience, perseverance, they're all a process, right? They're, they're, it is not a constant. It is not a destination. It is it is a journey. And um, I truly believe the, the abuse, well, I know this to be fact, especially with my experience, but when you are abused or violated at, at a young age, it causes like this, this, this rewiring of your brain and thoughts and emotions and even your self-perception, right? And so it, you, you beg the question, what did I do wrong? Why me? You know, this is only happening to me. What did I do wrong? And I know for me, it was, I felt like I was a shell of myself. And when you're abused one time by someone that was an authority figure and your, your, your perception is altered, it is not shocking to know that it happens over and over again, because then you become one that's kind of like, my body is not my own. You know, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. And so for me, I always knew that there was something more inside of me or I felt disconnected and I was always trying to find my way back to myself. And so with the, the, um, several times that I had been abused by my, my stepfather, my female neighbor, my, my grandfather inappropriately touching my breast at 16, being raped at 19. Um, I no longer was being abused by people. I started abusing myself. Right. And so it was being promiscuous because 
my sexuality um, um, became my power, although I wasn't connected to my body and what was happening, it was so easy for me to have sex and be promiscuous because I was just performing, but never really connecting. And so with trial and error, with self-reflection, with prayer, with counseling, with exercising, with this in intrinsic desire to be more than and feeling like there was this weight on top of me that was like this uh, like this albatross like there's something that was around my body right and I didn't know what it was and so um I realized that I'm abusing myself, you know, and it it may not be promiscuity for some people. It may be shopping. It may be jumping from one relationship to another. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. And so it wasn't one thing, but it was a combination of a lot of things. Definitely my faith. Um, one, you know, this, 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 law of forgiveness, this law of, of being your better self and, and desiring that and figuring out what I had to do to become. Mm-hmm. my better self. And it started with realizing that I didn't do anything wrong, you know, and forgiving myself for even believing that, you know, it, it, it required me to connect to my younger self, having those conversations, those tough conversations, and then taking some responsibility of, of, about the behaviors that I had picked up that weren't true behaviors and learning how to replace that. So being resilient is, is, is a process and um, a journey and, pe- and really understanding that it's not going to happen overnight. Um, um, and you have to be kind and have compassion to yourself and figure out what works for you. For me, it was my in, in therapy and exercising and sometimes not at the same time and not at the same depth, but there was this balance of me figuring out what worked for me. And for others, it may be medication, it may be therapy, it may be uh, swimming, but you have to figure that out. But the most important thing is to know that it is definitely a process and it is a journey because even now at 40, I'll be 45 in May, at 45, I'm still learning and unlearning things as they manifest and as I evolve. So it's a process and you have to figure out what works for you. Mm. Yes, you just said a word. My mother was 15 years old when I was born and she was addicted to love. She looked for love in all the wrong places. By the time she was 18, there was three of us. Before she was 30, There were six of us. Her development was arrested and she did the best that she could. One in four girls are abused. One in six boys are abused. But healing is possible. Abuse causes a lot of pain. You begin to question your self-worth. Am I enough? Am I too much? I confronted my abuser at my brother's funeral. I was able to walk up to his dad and grab him by his hands and say, I remember everything you did to me vividly. However, I forgive you. Yes, you just said a word. Same thing, I'll be 45 in April. And you're right, it is a process. And that's the thing that I think sometimes people don't quite grasp you're not just going to wake up one morning and all that pain is going to be out the window all those memories are going to be gone you know if, if it could be that easy a lot of us will be walking around healed healthy and whole but that's not how it works it is a process it is doing the work you know when you have when you've been violated 
you've experienced abuse, when you just experience pain, it's not something that you can snap your fingers and wash away. You know, we really wish we could. And like you said, especially as women, we find other tools sometimes. And before we get to that stage of enlightenment, we find those other tools to try and wash it away, whether it's promiscuity and sex. You know, a lot of us have gone through those stages where we've used our bodies. Like you said, you do feel some level of power after you've been violated at one point. It's like, okay, now I can use my sexuality as a weapon, as a tool. You know, but then once you get enlightened, it's like, okay, this isn't working either because now I'm still falling into another cycle of violating my body, though. You know, so it is a process to work through it. And that is what's called doing the work. Like you said, whether it's finding therapy, meditation, manifestation, whatever it is you have to do, it is doing the work. We all have ups and downs. And like you said, it is unlearning a lot. You know, and that is the true challenge when you have to unlearn those past behaviors and sometimes breaking those generational curses do not make you popular. <laughs> like it is isolating as well, you know, because a lot of us have been violated within our own bloodline. So it's a lot of work, but it's not for the weak, but it can be done. So I definitely appreciate that, what you said. And that definitely is a mark of resilience, obviously. So there's so much more I want to talk to you about. So I know like with your journey, because we will get to the book, like I said, I got to touch on so many other things with you. So you also provide transformative professional and personal development opportunities for life learners. So I like how you're doing that because I think a lot of us Sometimes, and like we're like the same age, so a lot of times I feel some of us who have gone through some traumas, it has caused some slight setbacks sometimes, not for everyone, but sometimes it causes setbacks in our journeys to find our purpose and to do what makes us happy and what will fulfill us. So can you touch on how you're providing a transformative professional and personal development and describe life learners for people who aren't familiar Yes, yes. So, so oftentimes people, as we, we um, are entrepreneurs or, or business people or even movies or um, stores, when you're developing, like, what's your target audience? What's your demographic? You know, what's your target audience? Who are you trying to serve? And my, my response to that always is the human spirit. The human spirit is my demographic, right? If you are as young as I would say 12 years old and, and 200 years old and you're still living, you are a life learner. You are someone with a human spirit and that is my demographic because we all spell struggle the same way. We all are, are experiencing life in some, some similar capacity, right? With spelling struggle the same way, it's a matter of, of understanding that we all have had some type of stress, experienced some type of crises, experienced some type of traumatic experience um, in, in, in your own right, you know, respectively, right? And so understanding that you are learning something every day or unlearning something every day, so you are a life learner. And I have been given the privilege or one of my, my talents or superpowers is I'm an educator. And so I taught school for several years. I was a dean. I was a director of, of a special population. So I provided um, um, complex, I was given complex projects with students in foster care or juvenile detention centers or students with disabilities and created practical procedures. Um, and so with my life experience and my education and my understanding about trauma and resiliency, it's 
yeah, I need to make sure that I'm impacting the human spirit. And so I do that through keynote speeches. I do that through professional development workshops. I do that through having a conversation with someone at the bus stop, you know? And so, because every encounter is just that, the human spirit, and we are impressing upon the subconscious in a positive way or in a negative way. And I I choose to make sure an encounter with me is one that will be very memorable, as I like to call it, magical disruption, you know, where, where after experiencing me, you desire to be a better version of yourself based upon what I I said, um, or in the words of Maya Angelou, people will forget what you said, forget what you did, but never forget how you made them feel. So it's also making people feel seen, you know? And so you, the listener, you, you, the, the reader of the book, you, the, the, the person I encounter, you are a life learner. And my demographic is the human spirit. So I go into colleges, universities, prisons, faith-based communities, uh, athletes, uh, women's groups, men's groups, children organizations, life learners are just people with human spirit, human spirits, and they they desire to be magically magically disrupt, disrupted and empowered to be the best version of themselves. Mm. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. So something else that I notated about you was some great quotes regarding just you as a person. Um, One of the things said that you are a sunshine and a hurricane, but you came to this planet to change the world. And another line that I loved, of course, was saying that there is life after pain, which there is. Now, of course, you have written the book, The Resilient Walker. Now, what inspired you, though, to like right now, books are the new business card. You know, a lot of us have these amazing stories inside of us, these amazing testimonies. And some people have chosen to go that route to put it in a book. It's not easy for everyone because, you know, I think especially with our culture, we don't want to be telling all our business, you know. So sometimes people aren't willing to necessarily be forthcoming on past traumas or things that they've gone through to inspire others. Because like I said, some of us were raised in that cloak of, you know, don't share that stuff, don't tell our business what happens in this house, stays in this house, that type of, you know, thinking. So what made you decide, because obviously you do have a mission to help people. So what made you decide to write the book? And can you tell us some more about it? So it was, it was just time. It was, it was just time. As a young age, at, at a young age, I was one that I really enjoyed school, right? And not in the sense of, oh my God, I love school, but school was a refuge because I was living in this chaotic world. School had rules and set expectations. You do A, you do B, it equals C. You know, it, it was absolute, it's, it, it, it is truly structured. And so I was a writer. I loved writing haikus. I love writing poetry. I love writing stories. Um, but over time, with me having so many gaps in moving schools, I have processing delays or dyslexia. So even in this conversation, if you see me pause or I get stumbled on my words, I'm, I'm thinking one thing, but something totally different comes out. And so with writing the book, I always knew I had something to share because of my outlook on life. I truly believe in the possibilities. I truly believe in the golden rule. I'm truly a giver. I'm truly 
I believe in world peace. Like I'm, I'm that kind of kid from the Jordan Down projects. I don't know how to fight. You know what I mean? Like I, I can play dead and I can bite. That's, that's all I got, you know? So it's, it's, it's one of those things where over time with my journey and my outlook on life, I just knew sharing it with people in some type of medium, right? Whether it's, it's a book, whether it's film or whether it's conversation, I wanted to do that. And so I started to believe that I wasn't a writer. So I, I stopped writing. You know, I used to write poetry out of pain. Um, um, and then writing has all these kind of these different kind of rules. And I have dyslexia. So and grammar was a challenge for me. So it's like, how am I supposed to do this? I need to I want to write it. I want to write it. And so dictation. Oh, I can actually just record it. Right. And then have it transcribed and work with the editor to wait a minute. You know, so. It was March 1st, I'm thinking March 1st, 2013, I heard Manny Scott. Manny Scott is one of the Freedom Riders. His his life story was kind of depicted in the movie Freedom Riders. I heard him speak at a conference and he's from Long Beach area. I heard him speak at a conference. And when I heard him speak and share his story, it instantly lit the fire of this, this, this flame that was just kind of really low for me. And it was like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to share my truth and my story to empower others. I'm doing that in the education sector, but it's so many others that I can impress upon their subconscious and shift mindsets because statistically sets because statistically speaking, I'm not supposed to be here in this capacity to have a doctorate with, with someone being from white, someone being black, being female, being uh, or having a number seven on the adversity, uh, adverse childhood experiences score. Like I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. So with all these factors, it was, I need to share it. I need to share it. So with writing or dictating and then writing some, so physically writing uh, um, my poetry and things like that and uh, doing a lot of dictating, it was, I need to get this transcribed. And so the process was very cathartic, very um, necessary for me to relive a lot of what I experienced. And then also me really understanding how powerful the mind is because it was all from memory. You know, like it was all from memory, the colors and the the characters or or the people um, that I experienced and shared um, in, in the book. And I was sharing my truth. I was sharing a fact, meaning something that happened and how it impressed upon my subconscious, how it made me feel. So how can anyone argue with it being, not true, you know, so I wasn't worried about my mom or my dad or or my friends or whomever I discussed in the book saying, why did you share that? Why did you this? Why did you that? Because I explained something that was factual. It happened in my understanding or how it impacted me. And then I also um, had compassion for them as actually people, you know, talk about my mom, I talk about my dad and our relationships, but I also frame them as being people and not parents where we assign certain characteristics to people who are 15. You're not a parent at 15. You know, you're not a parent at 18. You're not a parent at at 20. You may not even be a parent at 35 just because you had a baby, but understanding all of that. So the book 
will cause magical disruption. And that is the supernatural experience that will um, cause you to, to want to be a better version of yourself. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you um, disclose some things just with yourself, you know? Um, and that's the medium as of right now that it's in. It's available Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, um, um, Audible iTunes, and then hopefully, not hopefully, um, I'm, I'm manifesting it will actually be a film, um, a, a series of some sort. So, and then also a play, right, to bring it to life. So people, you know, who who have other interests outside of reading or listening can actually see it. So it was a process, it was necessary. And I knew that at a young age, it was something that I had to do. And it's part of my contribution to society. Um, I don't have children. And so my legacy, my name, my gifts to this world are going to be how I encounter people and pour out all the things that, that I'm supposed to do while I'm here. Cause I definitely want to die empty. Mm, yes, 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 yes. I have heard that time before as a die empty and not full. So I, like I said, you're definitely an example of that just by using your story and everything that you're doing just to pour into others so that they can see that there's life after pain because a lot of people are suffering in silence, you know, because they're still trapped in the pain that they've experienced, which was not their fault, you know, which is the tragedy of it all when people are struggling with trauma, you know, because we struggle over things that simply were not our fault that we didn't ask to experience. So, you know, that is the the underlying sadness, I feel, of experiencing trauma, especially sexual assault, things of that nature. One other thing that I wanted to talk about is you have a lot of titles, you know, you're doing a lot. But one of the things that struck me was that um, for the lead, if you're the, on the leadership committee, for the Sexual Assault Center in Nashville, Tennessee. So once again, a lot of people, male and female, have experienced sexual assault, sexual abuse, and they still have trouble dealing with that or speaking about it. You know, there is a level of shame that takes place when you are abused. So can you tell me more just about how you've taken, you know, such a thing that you've experienced, though, in order to help other people? Yeah, so at, at a young age, once I disclosed to my mom that that I had been abused, she took every necessary precaution. You know, let's go to the police. Let's, you know, let's the doctor, and then let's. Um, um, part of that process was seeking counseling. You know, um, was was part of the the process. And so, with doing so, again, black culture is kind of like we don't go to therapy. You'll be all right. You know. And so I went to a couple therapy sessions where we kind of drew some pictures. We kind of talked through it, things like that. But it was kind of like mm, I think after four or five sessions we just kind of stopped you know um and so over time all these thoughts and emotions and questions and things like that I became more aware of and just really suppressed them and so it wasn't until maybe I was 23 24 years old that I was like I need to go see someone you know it started it was 20 2005 and I, it was soundtrack of my life at that time was um, Lauren Hill's Unplugged, you know, and she was just talking about Mr. Intentional and got to find a peace of mind and, and, and um, um, I get out, you know, that was a soundtrack of my life at that time. And so it was like, I need to go, I need to journal. So I journaled 
and I wrote out everything that I that I did that I thought was the ugly side of me, you know, the, the things that, that were dark and the things that I didn't like about me or what happened to me. And I wrote everything out. And I was like, here's the problem, as Lauren points out in the song. Here's the problem. You know, this is what I need to do to solve the problem. You know, here's the, here's the solution. And you got to take these steps. And so part of that was, I need to go and speak to someone because I realized that talking, as you can tell, like I like to, to talk and have dialogue and I've been doing that for a long time, but I need to be able to just go and let the air out and say what I need to say because I know what I need to do, but I need to help untangle some of these thoughts and emotions, right? And so with me doing that and finding um, growth and finding peace and finding that it, it, it works for me, you know, um, know the therapist doesn't tell you to do A, B, C, D, and E, but it's a stream of consciousness and challenging you to shift your perspective or, or you, oftentimes you actually come up with your own solutions and you're already doing it and you just need someone to validate it or, you know, no judgment zone, right? And so with me realizing that it worked for me, it was like, how can I contribute? You know, I lived in Nashville for, for 20 something years and it was like, I want to contribute. And so the sexual assault center, um, 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 was looking for a new board member and I was serving, um, in that capacity and trying to make sure marginalized communities, such as black communities and, and Latinx communities know that this service is available where they can do a sliding scale and oftentimes may even provide services for free, depending on your situations. And, um, it is a great resource to be able to go and actually be seen, be heard, know you're not alone and get the help and supports that you need um, at that point in time. You know, and it may be, you may need to do it for six months or for a year or, or, or a year and you stop and come back and go um, a couple of years later. So while I was in Nashville, I served as a board member. My tenure was um, three years. I helped raise funds for, for, for people to actually participate as a, a, a clients um, and, and make sure they get the sessions that they need. Um, I helped record some promotional videos, did some outreach work, but the Sexual Assault Center in Nashville is a great resource for those seeking help. And I'm sure in your local communities, whether you're in LA, whether you're in Louisiana, New York, Chicago, find out about some resources in your area that you can go and get the help and their qualified people that can actually speak to the supports and things like that, that you may need in your area. Mm. I, you know, and I commend your mother because a lot of people didn't get that grace from the adult when you tell someone, hey, so-and-so has hurt me. A lot of people didn't have someone that said, hey, we're going to go talk to the police or get some counseling. You know, for a lot of people, when you tell your family member that so-and-so has touch you inappropriately they do not do the right thing so I am happy to hear that you at least had that experience because a lot of us including myself did not get that level of grace you know which is unfortunate as well but before we do and everything like I said I have definitely loved talking to you but you know this platform is about self-love you have definitely said a lot about resilience you know like your story is so powerful so I'm so interested in hearing your thought perspective on this I do ask the majority of my guests what does self-love mean to them so I definitely want to ask you 
Because like I said, with you having this platform of resilience, you have taken what you've experienced and you've taken it on a whole different level and you really truly are an example of resilience. But like I said, self-love, like I always say on this show, self-love is the fuel to lead us to greatness, to lead us to our purpose, to lead us to be leaders, to have us pour into other people. We have to get to that point in our lives of truly finding the meaning of our personal definition of self-love because we have to truly love ourselves and to, or in order to know, number one, our trauma is not our fault either. You know, we have greatness inside of us. We can turn our pain into purpose. There is life after pain. So for you, what role has self-love played in your life? And also before you even answer that, did did you go through a stage where you really truly had to learn to love yourself? And then the second part of that question is what role has self-love played in your life, you know, in order to find your resilience? Definitely went through a stage uh, where I had to learn to love myself. And, and um, it, it was a stage where I had to learn how to be still, where I, I, I made sure my space had order. I had to date myself, you know, and, and not in the sense of me preparing myself for a mate, but more so just getting to know Sheree. What is Sheree like? What is Sheree, you know, uh, create boundaries for myself and actually become self-aware. And so that is a process, right? It's a process, but there was a period trying to figure out movies, going to concerts, going to sit at the park and, and just being by myself and my thoughts. Um, and so there, there, there was a period um, I, in, I think there was a period where it was focused, maybe about six months to a year. But now, even though um, it's not a long you know, time, I make sure that I still utilize a lot of those skills that I learned during that period where I was learning to love myself. And I learned that I do like going to the park, you know, I, I still, so that's a part of who I am. And so with self-love, I think it's about, for me, it's about giving myself permission to feel giving myself permission to feel. And I think we as, as black folks, or especially as women, we don't give ourselves permission to feel. Mm -mm, we ain't got time to cry. We got, we, 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 we don't have time for this. It happened. Okay. Let's move on. And it's kind of like, no, sis, I need to wait a minute. <laughs> I'm a little off balance. Wait a minute. I'm upset. You know, why am I upset? Where did that come from? You know what? So giving myself permission to feel and creating boundaries because I am a natural pleaser. I would give and pour out and pour out and pour out till I am empty. And that's not good for anyone. So reminding myself that I love me, you know, what is self-love for me? It's giving myself permission to feel creating boundaries, keep creating boundaries and being fully who I am in any room that I walk into. So I'm not exhausted because I've had to perform and be this person over here in this world and be this person over here in this world. When you experience me, whether we're at church, whether we're at a dinner party, whether we are doing an interview, whether we are in a, a professional development, you get to experience me, you know? So it, it, it's those three things, being authentically who I am, being uh, or having boundaries and giving myself permission to feel. That is what self-love is to me. Mm, I love it. I love it. I just definitely just appreciate you sharing your story, just giving yourself, 
you know, just offering yourself to everyone so that they can learn from what you've experienced. I just really appreciate your transparency, your honesty. And like I said, you really truly are a definition of resilience. I definitely appreciate you. I love your light and your energy. And your story is really powerful. I just really appreciate what you're doing. And it's very important. So before we end everything, though, tell everybody where they can reach you. And another thing I love how you, that strong Black woman myth, ugh, what we need to get rid of, you know, it's just, it's so toxic. And it's not, not and the thing about that strong Black woman myth, it doesn't just come from us, you know, other races even like run to us you know, and put the, other than that, we're the bottom of the totem pole for everything. But when it's time to save the day, you know, let's go find a strong Black woman to save the whole world. And it's really ridiculous, you know, And but some of us, we still have this, we have to be strong. We have to have this cape on our back. You know, some of us have responsibilities that we didn't ask for, you know, being single mothers and things like that. But we deserve to have grace you know we deserve to feel our pain and feel our emotions so I do like how you mentioned that strong black woman myth you know which is really toxic and breaks a lot of us but before we end everything like I said I definitely enjoyed speaking with you tell everyone how they can find your information your contact your website and how they can get this book the resilient walker like I said you have a great story and it deserves a great audience Thank you. Thank you. Well, I will say, I don't think the, that it is actually a myth. It is true. We are strong. We are resilient as Black women. But I think people need to balance that narrative. Right. As much as I am strong, there is some weakness that comes with that. There is some cost that comes with me being able to save the day and be mom and be dad and be cousin and auntie and all of that. So I think people need to hold space for, yeah, I'm able to do all of these things but please allow me to have some grace or understand how much that's going to cost me emotionally. And I think that we having these conversations and walking in vulnerability, it's going to shift that narrative by giving yourself permission to feel and boundaries and, 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 and yeah, just shifting that for people so they can say, yeah, we are strong and we can, you know, create magic, you know, but at the same time, I'm exhausted. I need someone else to pour into me. You know, I, I iron sharpens iron and cre yeah, re recreating that narrative. I think that's very important. And for people to get in contact with me, everything is Resilient Walker. Resilient Walker on Twitter, Resilient Walker on Instagram, uh, Resilient Walker on Facebook. My website is www.resilientwalker.com. The book is available. Um, actually, if you're in LA, it's available here in stores at Book Soup in West Hollywood. It's available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, also Audible, and I actually narrated the book, so you get to experience my voice, my emotions, my thoughts, my pain through hearing my voice, and I am grateful for this opportunity and so looking forward to connecting with you, the listeners. And if you have an opportunity for me to be able to press upon your network, please reach out. It is resilientwalker.com. There's some information available there. And I'm ready to, to, to just pour out so I can die empty because I've got magical things to do. And I am so ready and grateful for this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. I, like I said, I just love, I love talking with you. You just have such an amazing story. So everyone, please make sure that you take in so many 
gems that was dropped in this episode. Number one, there is life after pain. We do not have to be a victim of our circumstance. A lot of us have experienced some unfair hands in life. You know, we did not ask to be abused. We didn't ask to be assaulted. We didn't ask to be on the bottom of anyone's you know, false totem poles. But the thing about it is we do have strength that lies within us. Just like we said about just even being strong Black women, we are beautiful. We defy gravity. We are amazing creatures that are walking this earth and we are magical. But we are people. We are human. We have hearts. So we do deserve that balance and we do deserve that grace. So it is okay to feel your emotions. Seek help. You don't have to be stuck in pain and you don't have to be so wrapped up in being strong that you don't feel the need that it's okay to not be okay or to seek help or to just get over the past. There's so much greatness inside of you. There's resilience living inside of you. So just make sure whatever it takes for you to be healed, healthy, whole, and strong. Remember, you are a fighter. You're a warrior. You're a queen. You have that resilience. So do whatever it takes to truly live your best life. You have it in you. You are a winner. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Thank you, Dr. Cherie Walker. I really, really, really enjoy speaking with you. I know someone is going to be blessed from this episode. So guys, you can catch this episode and more. Just head over to the website, www.thekeychat.com. You can access this episode on all audio links, and you can also watch the video episode as well. You also can go back and find some great episodes So from some other great warrior women who have conquered so many things and have some great stories to tell. So thank you guys for tuning in and for all your support and make sure you be safe. And of course, to go love yourself.